Almighty God, please help us keep a holy Lent. Lord, we, we know that uh, the word Lent and this season don't show up as a uh, prescription in Scripture, but in the wisdom of your people through the ages, Lord, we recognize that we needed a time to be set apart once again for, uh, for your service. Lord, we need our hearts turned to repentance and, Lord, our lives given back to self-denial so that we can lay hold of the life that is truly life. And, Lord, in order to help us begin a good and holy fast, Lord, speak to us through your word. Grant me the ability as the preacher of the gospel to declare the mysteries of God and grant us all listening and attentive hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you have an aversion to organized religion, uh, you found the right church. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> Um, you know, we've heard already at the beginning of this service uh, that we've heard that invitation to celebrate Lent, a holy Lent, and we've heard during that invitation that the purpose of Lent is to prepare us for the celebration of the resurrection on the feast of the uh, resurrection of our Lord on Easter Sunday, beginning at the great vigil of Easter and the night before. But it's also a time for new believers to be prepared to receive holy baptism. We heard that. We heard that it was a time for those who had committed notorious sins to be restored to the Christian community. But here's what I want us to focus on this evening as we begin this fast of Lent. And this is coming directly from that invitation. This is a time for us to renew our repentance and faith. This is a time for us to renew our repentance and faith. So Lent, this season that we're embarking on, is about refreshing our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now here is what I want you to get from this beginning part of this sermon. If Jesus really is, listen, if Jesus really is the joy of man's desiring, in other words, if being in Jesus' presence is truly the fountain of beauty and delight, okay, if that's where our true joy is, then repentance itself is the path to joy. So that means that Lent is the path to joy. Think about the, uh, think about the story of the prodigal son back in Luke chapter 15. I don't know if you know that story, but there's a son who, who leaves his father, he was very rude, demands his inheritance, he goes off, he wastes all the money that his father has given him, he ends up in a really bad situation. Uh, feeding pigs and, and, and starving to death, essentially. And well, what happens when that son returns to his father? Well, there's the father's welcome, there's an embrace, and there's the joyful restoration of the son, and there's a party. Listen to what it says. This is Luke chapter 15. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And this, then the scripture says this. And they began to celebrate. So instead of repentance being about beating ourselves up for the next 40 days, instead of repentance being about beating ourselves up for the next 40 days, it is ultimately a, jo a journey into greater joy and the abundant life that Jesus promises us. Repentance and fasting, which we start today, are not an end in themselves. They are the road 
that we travel back to our loving God who wants to rejoice over us and have a celebration. And you know, that's exactly what we heard from the prophet Isaiah this evening. True repentance and fasting lead to joy. Listen to what it says again. I'm going to read some of that passage again. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to pro and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then listen to what's promised following that kind of true fasting. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. And listen to this. I love this. This is Isaiah 58, verses uh, 10 and 11. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Refreshment, joy, satisfaction. That's what results from genuine fasting. Isaiah's fast in that passage is specifically a call to acts that embody God's passion for justice, to relieve the oppressed and to feed the hungry. And those are always the right way to fast. That's always a genuine fast. But over the last year, Isaiah, just as Isaiah identified for the people of Israel ungodly patterns of attitude and behavior, We've seen ungodly pattern, patterns of ungodly behavior and attitudes in God's church. So I don't want to diminish what Isaiah has called us to, but here's three things I want to encourage us to fast from this Lent. There are three things I want to encourage us to fast from this Lent, and they deal specifically about the last year that the church has been through. So first of all, church, this Lent, would you please fast from fear? Would you please fast from fear? The last year has been a wash in fear. Every day I witness people whose lives are defined by what they are afraid of. Now we are genuinely in the midst of, and God willing, hopefully, coming to the end of a very real pandemic that has taken thousands upon thousands of lives around the world. However, for many people, the response has not been due caution and prudence, and thank God there have been people who have been cautious and prudent, and we celebrate that. That's why we have a live stream tonight, so that people can be cautious and prudent and avoid being altogether at this super spreader event that we're having tonight. <laughs> Praise God, I don't think that's going to happen, no. But while there should be due caution and prudence, there has been also a constant low-grade sense of terror among many people. And then once the vaccines began to come out, there was a similar appeal to fear. So we've had the terror of the, of the pandemic, and then as soon as we were like getting the vaccines, I heard this on, you know, uh, uh, some sources online and things like that because that's always where good information comes from. 
Don't you know how many people have just died from taking that vaccine? You should be afraid of the vaccine. But, but you just told me I was supposed to be afraid of the virus, and now I have to be afraid of the vaccine too? Yes, that's exactly right. You have to be afraid all the time, no matter what the scenario is. And that's where we are. It's, it's just like we're steeped in terror. And, and moreover, half of us were terrified by what the previous presidential administration said and did, and now the other half of us are terrified by what the current presidential administration is saying and doing. In fact, there seems to be an entire industry dedicated to keeping us afraid and then, listen, manipulating us based on that fear. Brothers and sisters, could we please fast for 40 days from fear? Could we just lay it aside for 40 days? Here's what happens if you are living in fear. Your eyes are not on the loving and almighty God, but on your circumstances. Fear leads us into darkness and not into God's light. Remember God's word. Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. Are you afraid of COVID killing you? Are you afraid of the loss of religious liberty? Well, Jesus says he calls us to have some perspective. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, and do not fear those who can kill the body. That includes viruses. But cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Have perspective. You see, if our lives are marked by fear, then we we need to know that it's not the Spirit of God at work. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Please, beloved, can we just fast for 40 days from fear? Come back to those scriptures again and again and fortify our hearts with the fact that we can be confident, no matter what happens in our circumstances, that our lives are hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we shall also appear with him in glory. The second thing I want to encourage you to do this Lent is, would you please fast from fury? Fast from fury. That sounds like a movie title. Fast and furious. Let's fast from being furious. And by the way... I mean, uh, by that I mean just as uh, there has been this constant low-grade pervasive fear in society and even in God's church, there has been a constant low-grade sense of outrage. You know what I'm talking about. And sometimes it's not so low-grade. And just as there is an industry out there dedicated to manipulating us through fear, there is one dedicated to keeping us outraged. So let me tell you a true story here. The names have been changed to protect the innocent, all right? I was talking to a young man a while back 
who had been living in another state, and he was there to go to school and find a job. Some older relatives had invited him to stay with them, but it didn't work out. This young man told me, yeah, the environment was just suffocating. I really felt like I was walking on eggshells all the time and that I might say something that would set them off. They were always outraged and angry about politics. That's all they ever talked about when we sat down for a meal. It was so uncomfortable. And as I heard this story, I was thinking, oh yeah, I know where this is going. I've heard this story before. But then he threw me a curveball. He said, yeah, they were always like listening to NPR and watching MSNBC and just kept getting angrier and angrier. You thought I was going to identify some other news outlet, didn't you? So here's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's, would you do this with me? I'm doing this during Lent. Look at your heart and take stock of whatever is keeping you outraged and cut it off for the next 40 days. Is it social media? Is it your friend's posts? Is it your not-so-much-friend's posts? Is it news media? Is it commentators? Yes, even Christian commentators, I'm going to confess. I, uh, I read a Christian commentator. His name is Rod Dreher. He's a good author. But man, like his, his commentary is gloomy. And I'm cutting him off during Lent because I read him and I can just feel the outrage rising in me. So can we give up the sources of our fury for at least just Lent? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Practice media distancing. <laughs> Practice media distancing. Our outrage is separating us from the loving heart of God. If you are feeling outrage, you are not feeling God's love. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then listen to this. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Stop making yourself angry. That's what I want to fast from. And the last thing is, church, could we give up foolishness for Lent? And I have a specific kind of foolishness in mind. So yes, it's very alliterative and easy to remember. Fear, fury, and foolishness. Let's fast from them. This foolishness I'm talking about is related to the two previous points. But for some reason, right this minute, uh, Christians are knee-deep Christians are knee-deep in conspiracy theories and false prophecies. Yes, there really are evil and corrupt powers at work in the world, but that's not what I am talking about. Rather, as our world gets more chaotic and divided, there is a powerful appeal behind conspiracy theories and specially revealed secret knowledge. Conspiracy theories and specially revealed secret knowledge. Whether we're able to articulate it or not, we rightly desire to know what is really going on in the world, what's really happening that can explain the turmoil. And so we gravitate towards explanations and special knowledge that reinforce our own fears and suspicions. You are not immune to this. I am not immune to this. 
we are all susceptible to this. You know, as a pastor, this has been very hard to deal with in this season because Christians have become incredibly protective of and defensive about their preferred, their preferred conspiracy theory while quickly pointing out the absurdity of the ones held by those with whom they disagree. See it all the time. Just as fear and fury will darken our hearts and separate us from God, so does this kind of foolishness. Here's where the darkness comes in. Are you ready? First of all, conspiracy theories and appeals to special revelation diminish the centrality of the revealed Word of God, the Bible, in favor of another explanation of reality. And brothers and sisters, I see Christians pulled away from the centrality of Scripture and instead using Scripture to support their conspiracy theory. This is the center. And secondly, these theories and special revelations tend to tell us who the bad guys really are. Timothy D. Paget writes this. He says, both QAnon and critical theorists, so I named some stuff there, now those people are angry. <laughs> Both QAnon and critical theorists encourage their adherents to wake up to reality and to expose them, the structural and institutional powers that be, who will stop at nothing to preserve their privilege. Each likewise diminishes any and all criticism as being either culpably ignorant or willfully complicit in the oppressive regime that haunts society. Since each relies on the knowledge obtained by the enlightened, no outside critic can ever hold any merit. So here's the difficulty I have as a pastor dealing with folks who are fascinated by conspiracy theories and false prophets. Confronting this kind of foolishness is like trying to nail jello to a tree. You see, if you challenge it with something really dangerous like facts, it just proves that you are unspiritual and you have been duped. Quoting here, many conspiracy claims are by nature uncheckable, which often only deepens the hold these beliefs have on the believers. If a claim is unverifiable, our default position should not be always to believe it. Or as St. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but here it is, but test everything. Christian, test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Test it. So please, just for Lent, would you consider giving up your preferred conspiracy theory and your insider knowledge that explains what really is going on and instead return, listen, return to the Word of God, which has been the sure and certain foundation for the people of God for the last 3,500 years? Let's focus on God's Word. Little children, little children, if having your false prophecy or conspiracy challenged, conspiracy theory challenged, or put to the test or questioned, 
makes you feel defensive, then maybe, beloved, your faith is not resting on the solid rock of God's Word, but on some other competing source of revelation. So this Lent, I want to humbly suggest, and I'm going to do this too, okay? Because like I said, I am not immune. There's stuff out there that really makes sense to me, and I don't want to check it too deeply because it might not be true. But this Lent, let's fast from fear and fury and foolishness. And as we do, even as we travel through Lent, we're going to find joy. So by doing these things, we're going to find, by letting go of these things, fear and fury and foolishness, we will begin to find joy and refreshment and renewal that we have not experienced in quite some time. If we hold on to fear, fury, and foolishness, we won't have room for joy. And at the end of our journey over the next 40 days, we will find that this kind of repentance and fasting will lead us into the genuine joy of being in the presence of the risen Jesus at the Feast of the Resurrection. Let's do it. Let's give these things up for Lent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.